0: right? So one, learn all you can about product management, but once you have a pretty solid base, start building something in whatever capacity, whether it's a Wix website, right? Just build something, put into practice what you're learning right away, iterate, measure success, and then document what you're doing. That's really what we're trying to do with Path the Product in kind of a, a systematized guided way. That's my advice is build something that you can show that you know what you've done. Hiring managers can understand that, that you know what you're doing, not just theoretically, but you've actually put it into practice.
1: Hey, everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tiana hanson Drury, Chief Product Officer at MENA Technologies and all around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product we will be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of products as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy! So uh, I am so happy to have with us here today uh, John and John how do we say your last name? I want to make sure that I pronounce it correctly.
0: It's, it's no. so just like Fontenot. computer font and then no
1: want to know okay got it perfect and where are you uh joining us from today i see san francisco in the background of your zoom <laughs> but i suspect that may not be really where you're calling from
0: no I'm, I'm just north of salt lake city utah
1: okay fantastic fantastic well welcome to the pod we're super excited to have you today um, i'm excited as, to be here yeah as listeners know we often talk to kind of one of two personas, right? Like the founders who have built a business that, you know, they were so passionate about the problem to solve that they launched a business about it, or people who have, um, you know, work every day in the product discipline and are responsible for bringing those ideas to life. You, John, are a really interesting guest to have because you actually represent both of those personas. And so we're gonna get to ask you um, questions that could span both your personal founder experience, but also your day job experience as well. Um, maybe to start with, you can just give us a little a little pitch about what you do in your day job, quote unquote, and what your founding uh, persona does as well.
0: Absolutely. So in my day job, I'm a product manager for a company called Swipe Clock, and we build HR solutions for small to medium businesses. And in my uh, foundership, I guess um, mm-hmm. I, I founded a company called uh, Path to Product where we're trying to help bridge the gap in product management experience for aspiring product managers. So that way, anyone who wants to get in has the ability to do so.
1: Oh, fascinating. Okay. Well, something tells me that we're going to hear about how those two worlds uh, have have related to one another. Um,
0: Absolutely.
1: So let's start off with understanding <clears throat> a little bit about um, why you created, uh, you know, why you created Path the Product. Um, what was the impetus for it? Did it come before your current role? Did it come after? Give us a little story of, you know, when that came in your own, in your own uh, timeline.
0: Yeah, for sure. So Path the Product is kind of the second iteration of a big problem that I want someone to solve in the world. And I hope it's me. So in my own journey into product management, uh, I ran into quite a few roadblocks, right? Um, Without having the product manager title on my resume or my LinkedIn profile, I wasn't really getting a shot to, to even get interviews really. And so a lot of the feedback I was getting is, hey, you need to get experience. And I think what a lot of people experience with that feedback is, well, how do I do that if I don't get the opportunity to have the job? So like, how do I How do I hold both things in in, in my hands and and make sense of it, right? And so the original idea was that anyone should be able to have access to the jobs that they want, even if they didn't have prior experience in that role. And so what it started out as is like, let's focus on tech first. It was kind of a broad array of roles, product UX, product marketing, you name it. We were going to go after it. And it ended up being too broad, Right. So um, with two people that were bootstrapped and <laughs> obviously not VC backed, we didn't have like the time or resources to really pull it off. And so it, you know, one thing led to another and, and it, it kind of died. But, um, but yeah, so path to product is kind of the second iteration of that, where we're kind of focusing more on how do we help specifically aspiring product managers get to where they want to go into their first product role? And then how do we, how do we package an experience for them to where they can get the hands-on experience that would resonate with hiring managers? So that way they can they can bridge that gap that I think a lot of us have dealt with when we've we've tried to get in.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think a lot of our listeners can probably understand that because so few of us, well, it's you know, it's changing more, but especially if you look back. You know 10, 20 years ago. So few of us were going to school for this discipline, right? And right. how are you, as you said, supposed to have experience if you can't get a job to actually master that experience? Um, so I'm curious about learning more about path of product for sure. But actually, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to kind of take a step back to what that experience was like for you. Because I think it's something that many people who are listening to may be at a place where they're also struggling with something like that. How can they get, you know, the credibility that's required to get that job? Tell us about, you know, what was going on with you when, when you were running into these roadblocks and what was that like for you?
0: For sure. So I was managing a, a small team of contractors for Intel software group uh, before I switched into product management. And I, I kind of had this fork in the road experience where I could have tried to like move up into uh, management within this, this outsourcing company that I was doing the work for Intel for, or I could really pursue the passion that I discovered while I was in that role and try to go after a product management career. And it, it became pretty apparent that the, the product management path is where I wanted to go after that fork in the road experience, like I just started applying, right. I I wanted to get in. I thought I had enough exposure to product management and their practices in my, my former role to where I could like get in the interview, explain that, explain what I did, even though like my title didn't fully explain what I did. And I thought if I could just get that interview, I I could get that, that shot to get in. And, and those things never really panned out. And, you know, maybe my, my resume skills just weren't up to par, but, um, but yeah, so it, it was, it was really frustrating for me and uh, I just started reaching out to recruiters and saying, Hey, like, why am I not getting this, this shot? Like, here's my background. Here's my resume. Here are the things that I've done. Like, why am I not getting the, the interviews that I want? And their experience, uh, their feedback, sorry, was, was that, uh, my background looked like it was more in sales, even though I hadn't sold anything since college. Right. So, um, they're like, our advice is it's really hard to switch industries and roles. So try to do one and then figure it out from there. And so that's kind of what I did. I, I took a leap of faith and said, look, if, if people think my background is in sales, let's get a sales role, even though I don't want to be in sales, frankly. Um, and let's at least get into the software industry and, and try to figure it out like they're saying I should do. And so that's what I ended up doing. I started putting out applications for sales roles and you know, got a lot more interviews for those um, and found, found a really good company, uh, Swipe Clock, where I'm at. And was able to to get into the software uh, space that way.
1: Wow! I mean, it's it's a really practical uh, piece of advice for people, right? Um, and I think it's lucky that we have you to share that because you're right sometimes it's not as easy to just jump directly to the place that you want to go in your next career move. And it's kind of, you know, uh, almost like OKR planning, right? If your objective (laughs) is to get into product, what are the key results that are going to show you that you're going to get, you know, get towards that? It may not be have product manager as my title. Maybe it's, you know, get my foot in the door in the industry, right? Okay, well, how am I going to do that? I'm going to get a sales job in a SaaS-led company, right? Um, Or a software-led company. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it seems like you probably learned a huge amount uh, about not only, you know, what not to do, but also what to do during that process. And I'm glad, you know, that you ended up at Swipe Clock. How does the learnings that you applied there relate back to your second iteration, right? The path to product approach?
0: Yeah, it, it was funny because, you know, when, when Job Ready, the, the, the first iteration of it died, um, the, the desire to kind of build it also died a little bit but it, it was rekindled after uh, an experience I had at Swipe Clock. So I had the, the fortunate opportunity to get mentored by one of the senior PMs at the company w- within a short time of being there. And um, he really opened up the doors for me to get onto the product team as a UX researcher. And that that path led me into to my product position. And as soon as my, my title changed on LinkedIn uh, from you know, sales rep to UX researcher to product manager, I had recruiters reaching out to me, like literally within a couple of weeks saying, Hey, we have this product manager position open. We'd love you to come interview for it. And I was sitting there scratching my head. Like, how am I more qualified two weeks into the job than I was, you know, before I got it, there's no way that my experience in two weeks is representative of anything that's more valuable than it was two weeks ago. And, and so that, that kind of rekindled the flame in me of saying, okay, this can't be solely about experience. There has to be a deeper reason that I didn't uncover like in the first iteration of of job ready. And and what is that? And so it led to a second round of of research, which really led to the conclusion that like the recruiting game from from a town acquisition standpoint is really about risk mitigation. And the number one way that recruiters mitigate risk is by looking at Prior experience, so it really doesn't doesn't matter that you've been in a role for five years and weren't very good at it for five years. It just matters that their risk is less from somebody who's done it before than somebody who hasn't.
1: Right, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, something you know we see every day on buying decisions as well, right? If you're buying from a trusted name brand, um, you're not going to get fired because something didn't work. Versus if you take risk on a new a new service, right, or a new company. Um, the risk is much higher. So I think, you know, all of us understand that, although I don't know that it's been made as clear as that. So thank you for putting that so succinctly. I think it's a good lesson for our listeners to think about how can they represent their resumes as the least risky choice for a recruiter to pass you into the interview pool or the candidate pool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You're at swipe clock and mm-hmm. your day-to-day uh, activities at this point are product manager and you find this kind of rebirth of passion to try this again. Um, tell us about what the next steps are. What do you do?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So uh, I kept reading things and hearing things about how different product management was at every company. And and so that was a cause for concern, right? If it is truly so different, how can I create like a systematic path to someone getting the right kind of experience that would resonate with any company in any industry, in any geography? And that was really the the big problem that I wanted to solve. And so I, it led to another round of research of trying to trying to identify what's core to product management, regardless of industry or geography. And, and so that way we can start to package something that would resonate at scale, right? No matter what company someone would try to get into, this person could have the opportunity to get experience in those core things that they would be expected to do.
1: Okay. Can you give us uh, a few examples, maybe one of your favorite uh, things that you would say is core, regardless of whether you're a PM in India or, you know, a product, a senior product manager in San Francisco?
0: Yeah, so I think the way that that I would divide things up, and I think a lot of other um, product people would divide things up, is in product management, you have product discovery, and then you have product delivery. And I think one of the most important critical pieces of being a product manager is product discovery, right? Like the user research piece, whether that's qualitative or, or quantitative. And so no matter what company you're at, it it may vary by degree, right? I think some B2C companies are probably more quant focused while, you know, in in B2B you can be a little more qual focused because of the the different levels of scale, but regardless, you're still going to touch on both, no matter what, um, you know, customer segment you're going after or what what software solution you deliver. And so for, for me, like that's, those are two of the biggest things is like quant and qual research.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, in many ways, path to product would be seen as what is uh, increasingly being referred to nowadays as a side hustle. Would you agree? For sure. How, how would you advise, you know, people who are aspiring to become product leaders uh, to leverage the concept of a, a side hustle and, in, you know, kind of helping guard against that risk mitigation factor, right? Like,
0: yeah. Can, No, it's a great question. So there's there's a couple of reasons why like side hustles resonate with me. One is um you hear the the typical like statement that the product manager is like a a mini CEO or the CEO of the product, which you know has some truth to it, but a lot of like falsehood with it as well. Um and and because as product managers, we we don't have, especially at the individual contributor level, like we don't have that big of a level of control, right? We have to lead by influence, not by position or power. um, and And that lack of control is something that I think a lot of PMs um, get bugged by sometimes. And so having a side hustle gives you that sense of control of something that like you can own and do the way that you see fit without the constraints of, you know, big company bureaucracy or company policy or whatever it it may be, different visions, different focus from like executive level to your level. Um, But it also helps you hone different skills that are really important for Executing at a high level as an individual contributor in that product management position, right? Because you have to worry about marketing. You have to worry about how are you are going to support what you've built? You have to worry about um, a, a lot of things that may not be your direct focus as a product manager in, in marketing sales or, or customer success. But, but it's all things that you, you develop a greater empathy for, which I think makes you a lot better in cross functional collaboration in your day job, but also like how you build product in your day job, because now you have to consider how it's going to impact these other functions.
1: Absolutely. I know what you mean by saying that, you know the mini CEO has pros and cons to the association. But I've always personally liked it because of exactly what you just said. I mean, you have to be thinking about so much more than just the actual product itself. Uh, It's the entire, you know, product experience that is going to make it successful, especially, you know, um, well, no, I I was going to say, especially for digital products, but actually, it's every it's brick and mortar as well. So Okay, so I'm very impressed, uh, you know, to hear how you kind of took this adversity and decided to create a side hustle, um, as well as pursuing your original ambition of moving into product successfully. How does it work for you to manage both things? Uh, I think that's one of the things that lots of people, it pauses them from getting started on, you know, chasing an ambition that could be a side hustle is, will they have the time? Will they be able to give it the energy and the dedication that is required how do
0: you balance that? Yeah, I mean, I, I it might be a bad analogy, but it's kind of the same. I would imagine the same when we're trying to like develop a, a, a product or like an epic that has a bunch of stories within it. You have to start with the smallest piece that adds value, right? And so breaking breaking down the big thing that you want to do as a side hustle into what is the what is the smallest first step that I can take to create value or to start to validate that the idea might have some you know, success in, in whatever market, I, I think helps kind of resolve the, the the largeness of it, right? And the feeling of this this might be too much for me. Um, but then you have the the thing of time, right? I, I've heard a lot of um, long longstanding product leaders say, you know, uh, product management isn't a nine to five job. You're going to take this home, this work home with you. And while that's true. Um, there's, there's still downtime, right? Like I'm sure if you, if you have an iPhone every week, it pops up how much time you've spent on, on your phone. That's non-work related. So I know I do. And so you have time. It's just how you spend it. It's kind of like with money, everybody has money. It's just how they spend it. Right. Um, So, so I would say just calendar management, right? Like block out every bit of time at, at the beginning of your week or on Sunday night before starting, starting the week, map out what do you have to do in your day job for that week and block out time to get it done and and make sure that like Slack is killed, your email is killed and and you're able to get those things done. And you, and you even block out time for Slack and email, right? And then with whatever time's left, then you can identify like, here's, here's the margin that I've built for my side thing. And then here are the most valuable actions I can take this week to move towards accomplishing some goal around that or some objective, and then using that that margin that you've built in to do that.
1: That's excellent advice. I, I mean, how do you? How else do you see yourself using the same skills and kind of approaches that you leverage at Swipe Clock in your day job as a product manager and product owner um, in the building of path to purchase? I imagine there's a lot of similarities to what you do as a PM versus what you do as a founder.
0: Yeah, I think... I think it goes back to like the the product discovery piece, right? So even in building it, like I use kind of the, the lean startup method of running like a concierge MVP. And I so I had like a fully manual version. The second iteration was like half digitized, half manual before actually launching the, the platform. And so I kind of take similar discovery steps where I'm, I'm trying to un- identify like what are the usability gaps? Why, why can't people find the course when they come into the community? Um, why can't... You know, why, why aren't certain features being used? And is it because it's not valuable or is it because that it's not discoverable? Right. And so um, focusing on like the quantitative of what's happening and validating with the qualitative of why and trying to build a better experience for the, the community at large.
1: That's awesome. And has anything in your process of building Path to Pro- uh, Product surprised you? Has there been anything that, you know, has come about in a different way than you would have expected or any of the, you know, user reactions, user adoption, things that, you know, if you would have gone back to the date that you were starting this, you know, early in your time at swipe clock and getting started anything different now than you would have expected?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think some of it's going to drive some future decisions, but, um, right now, like I, or starting out, I had this expectation that it would just be aspiring PMs that were coming from either like a university setting that were trying to get into the, the career they wanted right away, or somebody who was looking to change careers, right, but didn't have any former experience. And what I'm finding is that there's a healthy number of individuals joining Path to Product who are existing PMs and just looking to brush up on skills or learn something new, um, or just, you know, give back through mentorship or be part of a community. So that who The individuals who are adopting Path to Product and using it, um, you know, I think people say all the time that, you know, you build a product and it gets used in ways you never expected. And I think I'm starting to see some of that as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you touch on something that probably our listeners have experienced firsthand, which is. Um, The pretty incredible online communities that are sprouting and forming around product. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there is a diversity of different organizations that are out there dedicated to helping us, you know, understand how other organizations, other individuals approach product. Um, You know, I'm curious about, you know, where you set yourself within that kind of larger ecosystem, right? How do you, as potential listeners who are thinking about, you know, what path the product brings? what makes it different what makes it complementary um do you work with other organizations uh, obviously product led alliance uh, we've got a great relationship with you as one but uh talk to us about the ecosystem um and the support of kind of all rising uh, tides lift all boats all ships
0: for sure and it definitely feels that way um to, to your point there's a lot of communities and a lot of um organizations that are positioning themselves as thought leaders, whether it's through content or through courses or certifications. And, um, it feels like a lot of us are getting connected and like, it's more of a coopetition than a, than a competition. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely, definitely see that, but I think part of the way path, the product was designed and developed was, was built off of the existing mental models of aspiring professionals who want to get to where they want to go and one of the one of the two natural ways they do that is do i need an advanced degree or do i go get some certification or take some course right and so i i built it in in the form of a course to kind of mirror that mental model of what what people are already trying to do but in in a unique way from what's not being done out in the market today so and, and i'm not knocking other courses i, I love you know Coursera. I take a lot of courses there. LinkedIn Learning is great. Uh, product School has a lot of good certifications, and there's there's many others. And now accelerators and boot camps for PMs are starting to come up too, that are kind of um, more hands on, collaborating with other functions. And so I think we're all kind of attacking the same problem from different angles. But what, what makes Path to Product different is that um, you have the opportunity to get experience working on the the uh, product discovery. Uh, which is kind of the the primary aspect of of path to product that i think a lot of other platforms don't give is you basically adopt a company you adopt a product from that company and you go out and find real users of those products identify real problems that they have today and then go through you know a, a solution ideation and a solution validation phase on down to writing user stories and acceptance criteria and planning for go-to-market launch, and you're packaging that into a portfolio project. And so it's it's one thing to get like the theory and the knowledge of a course, which is awesome. And again, I take a lot of them, so I'm not knocking them. But it's another thing to take what you've learned and do something with it. And what I've learned in my career is is courses are more impactful when you can do something right away with them, right? If you sit on knowledge for six months and don't use it, you probably have to go back and revisit it. And it's not as valuable as it would have been if you could have applied it right away. And so just from my my personal experience in my career, I wanted something that was that way, but also in a way that you can package it onto your resume as genuine, uh, credible experience, which again was kind of part of the validation steps I took in, in building it.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I, I really agree with that. And I think most listeners would. It's a Slightly different analogy, but it reminds me a lot of the trade show type approach. Right, you go to a trade show and you maybe learn and are inspired by some really fantastic speakers uh, who are there. But then you go back to your job. Uh, the days when we went back to our desks, now we go back to our kitchen tables, and <laughs> and uh, and you you that excitement kind of dies away because you're right. You're not getting to apply it immediately. Right. Um, so that, that's really great that you give a tangible takeaway that is you having applied it, but also it's proof of your, your work product as well.
0: Fantastic. And I think the the second thing I would call out is just the, the pricing model, right? I think a lot of, a lot of things like there's Product school and some of these accelerators, they're really good, and they have a lot of um, industry credibility behind who's teaching these courses or like the level of high touch nature some of these accelerators are. The price point's a bit higher. Um, this being kind of packaged as a Coursera-esque type of course, um, just with the hands-on experience that that goes along with it. Um, the, the pricing model is more uh, suited to kind of democratize opportunity for access.
1: Great. Excellent. So curious, while we've talked about what you've learned um, and how it's influenced uh, Path to Product, um, has anything that you've learned at Path to Product influenced your day job at Swipe Clock? And um, tell us a little bit more about, about that day job as well.
0: Sure. So uh, I think the biggest thing is I've always heard that you learn more by teaching. And so by, by having to teach it all the time, it keeps what I should be doing in my day job top of mind and kind of keeps me honest. Um, so that's one big benefit as well as kind of the one-on-one coaching that I do with, with aspiring PMs. It, um, I think that makes me better at my day to day, just the, the repetition of it. Um, but, but also going back to the empathy piece, right? Like as we, as we build out a, a product led company at Swipe Clock, which we've traditionally been sales led. We we kind of have to rethink processes across the organization. We have to rethink how we structure the product and how we uh, how we build the product to make it more self-service and that onboarding experience. And then what are the what are the seamless handoffs look like between, you know, in their trial, like the sales touches, the customer success touches and those kind of things. And path to product is very much built in a, a freemium type of manner. And so, the, the experimentation that, that I'm running inside of Path the Product of what works and what doesn't, um, what, what's annoying or what's valuable in, in terms of touches, I think is valuable experience in helping kind of advise on certain aspects um, as we work cross functionally to build out a product led company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that's very valuable. So where are you guys at in your journey towards being uh, product-led? Are you in the product-assisted area at this point? Are you still fairly sales-led, but you're making changes You know, with the ambitions of going product-led? Um, something I think a lot of our, our listeners uh, have gone through and would find interesting.
0: Yeah, r- right now we're still sales-led. And so we've kind of mapped out some different phases of how we get to fully product-led. And I think one of the first things that you have to have is a product that's conducive to a product-led model, right? Like if you can't get in there and figure it out on your own without being like handheld through the process, then you probably can't just let people in through a free trial and like start spinning up emails and, you know, whatever that outreach cadence looks like. And so that's the first part for us is just making the product- uh, self-service and invalidating user flows, usability, those kind of things to make sure that we're ready and set up to to actually execute on a product led model.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Allow them to be able to try the product earlier in the sales cycle without having to get on the phone with someone, right? For sure. Okay. Um so at Swipewalk, how, you know, how does the product function work? You know, who both in terms of your guys' structure um, because as you alluded to earlier, product looks different at every organization. So what is the, I guess, first question, what's the structure look like um, today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's taken on a couple different iterations organizationally over the last couple of years. But where we're at right now is we have a, a VP of product who reports up to the CEO and, and he kind of owns product strategy uh, holistically from our, our suite of products. And I know at a lot of larger organizations, product managers will manage like a feature set or a feature of, of a larger product, um, but we really own individual products within that larger suite. So it's a pretty flat organization where each product manager has a product. We bubble up to the VP of product who, who kind of uh, manages the the whole picture. And the way our, our team structure is set up is we have um, a QA person a UX person, a product marketer, and then our, our dev lead. So we kind of have like a a quad, so to speak of, of who our um, product teams are made up of. And um, we're, we're a fairly small company. So we have about 120, 130 uh, people in the, in the company. And uh, so, so, you know, UX and product marketing is, is shared across the teams, which there's some some benefits to that in terms of like alignment and consistency and um you know k- keeping things together <laughs> uh, but there's also some downsides to that in terms of like not having not being able to run as fast as you might like to
1: right yeah absolutely so you you've kind of answered who you tend to work with most often and why which is one of the things i was curious about um are there areas that you guys to scale more effectively are looking to kind of change or work more with more regularly, have more bandwidth, uh, you know, anything in that area that you care to share?
0: Yeah. Um, nothing in the plans that I'm, I'm aware of yet. I know that there's some, some tools to help augment certain things and, and automate certain aspects. Um, like, like I said, we, we kind of have shared UX resources. So we're, we're kind of pushing to um, have a, a, greater focus on UX, whether it's you know um, hiring more people or, or getting tools to help augment that role so that way we can move faster. Um, those mm-hmm. are some things that we're looking at right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's very common uh, for UX to be a shared resource and it makes it difficult, as you say, to really run as quickly as you need to. Um, mm-hmm. So, And it's such an important component, going back to your point on really there's product discovery and then there's product delivery. Uh, that UX and, and also UI becomes so imperative for that um, in both. So absolutely. So, so talk to us um, a little bit now. Uh, you're obviously far past that initial point where you were kind of struggling with how to get into the career um, of your of your chosen uh, ambitions. What advice would you give to those interested in a career and product today? Or what do you, maybe another question is, what do you wish you would have known earlier in your career?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to invest some time in, in getting coaching around resume writing or even hiring a resume writer. I've heard from some people that that's been uh, impactful and effective. Uh, it, it's a pet peeve of mine because I don't, I don't feel like you should have to know SEO as an aspiring product manager. Um, I feel like only marketing people should have to know what SEO is. <laughs> but beside the point, um, other, other good feedback I'd probably give to, uh, to people trying to get into product today is build something. Right. Um, I'm sure if if you're not studying and, and reading articles and listening to podcasts like this one and, um, and taking courses to get the knowledge, that would be step one. Like you can't do anything productive without the knowledge to like execute with. Right. So one, learn all you can about product management, but once you have a pretty solid base, start building something in whatever capacity, whether it's, you know, a Wix website or something, right. Just build something put into practice what you're learning right away, um, iterate, measure success, and then document what you're doing. Um, That's really what we're trying to do with path to product in kind of a a systematized guided way. But, but, but really you can, you can do it in a variety of ways. And so that that's my advice is build something that you can show that, you know, what you've done. And you can kind of explain the process that you took. So that way um, hiring managers can understand that, that you know what you're doing, not just theoretically, but you've actually put it into practice.
1: I think that's great advice. And I I think that probably one of the most helpful things is to build something like you said, it really brings all paths together. Um, So great advice for for our listeners. Okay, we're going to ask a fun question. Now, this is something I always say for the end of the show. And I ask all guests. Um, So we're all product lovers, we're product geeks here. And my question to you, John is if there was a museum dedicated to the world's most important products, First of all, I'm sure we would both be, uh, in line to go visit it, but what <laughs> products, what, if you were to say three products that you would put on display and why that is, um, what would they be?
0: That's yeah, a great question. So um, I may have to like chicken out here and I'll only do two. I might, I might have a third one that I, I go off the cuff, but I think first it is the automobile just in general. Right. Um, and you can probably couple airplanes with that. So the ability to travel has kind of opened up the world. Um, so I guess plane over automobile um, to where we can experience different cultures and and really kind of shrink the world around us. I mean, I, I think all the time we meet people <laughs> that that we're connected to in ways that we'd never imagined, and the world feels smaller. But we would never be able to connect if we didn't have things like the Internet, which could be another one, but also the, the ability to, to travel. Um, and, and I think the iPhone is probably like a, a cliche one. But when you, when you think about it, the things that the iPhone has been able to do in terms of <clears throat> connecting globally, right, having access to information anywhere in your pocket, um, b- being able to have like any kind of application that you want to have access to, you have mobile banking, like literally the, the world has changed on the back of the iPhone in so many ways that I think it's, it's probably one of the fundamental like shifts, um, of human behavior, uh, because of that product existing.
1: Absolutely. I sense a, a theme with you, John. I think the building connections um, is something that's really important to you.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I'm from um, rural Louisiana where family is really big, you know, in the South, people usually don't move away from the South, even though I did. But that, that's a big part of it is because connection and family and uh, relationships are a really big part of that culture. And I think that's that's always stuck with me.
1: Well, I think that's something that will stick with a lot of, of people listening to this. So thank you, John. It was so wonderful to hear your, your story here about you turning adversity into uh, a business and as you advise people to get out and just build something.
0: Yeah, but I appreciate you having me. Tiana. It, was, uh, it was a pleasure to be on.
1: Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.